The mission of Pardon Me is to inform, motivate, and most importantly, humanize individuals who have made mistakes but have received gubernatorial and presidential pardons. Pardon Me is a brand for those who support second chances. to share their stories of perseverance and success. Every guest we have has successfully served their prison time and have received a formal pardon through the gubernatorial or presidential process. Our goal is to use their stories to inform, motivate, and inspire you, our audience. I'm your host, Joshua Johnson, founder of the Pardon Me brand, and I'm joined by my good friend, Cam Beats, hanging out in the Pardon Me corner. Thank you, Josh. So, to start things off, we begin each interview introducing our guests by reading the opening paragraph from their original pardon from the governor of their state. And it reads, To all whom these presents come, whereas Joshua A. Johnson was convicted on November 17, 1995, of three counts of armed robbery and one count of attempted armed robbery in violation of sections 943.321 1 and 2 of the Wisconsin Statutes, Milwaukee County case number 1995CF3128 and on January 4th, 1996 was sentenced to 20, 20 years in confinement. It's an honor and privilege to have Joshua Johnson as a guest on Pardon Me. He's sharing his pardoning experience, but before we discuss the actual pardon, we'd like to kick things off with some contextual questions. Uh, welcome again, Josh. Thank you for having me be a part of this. Thank you, and thank you for agreeing to to interview me uh, in this format. So, uh, what were you convicted of when you went to prison? So, I was convicted of three counts of armed robbery and one attempted armed robbery. So, um, I pled guilty to uh, the three counts of armed robbery, one attempted armed robbery, down from six counts of armed robbery, um, and one attempted armed robbery. Uh, so, the the conviction came down to uh, it was seventy years. Ooh. So, it was three. So, for the three. The three armed robberies and the attempted armed robbery, uh, each armed robbery had 20 years, so three 20-year terms, and then the attempted armed robbery had a 10-year term, and those terms were to run concurrent, mm -hmm. uh, which means that you serve the time of the biggest, mm -hmm. um, the biggest, which was the 20 years. So uh, upon your release, what was the most significant thing that you purchased upon your release from prison? Yeah, so actually, uh, you know, as we talk about the most significant and the most insignificant, I'll start with the most insignificant first, which was uh, my parents came and picked me up from prison, uh, and we went down the road. Uh, I got released from Winnebago Correctional, which is in Oshkosh. Uh, and uh, as we're driving down the road, uh, we stopped at a Walmart. And my parents stopped at the Walmart, and they asked if I need anything. And I was like, yeah, actually, I need some hygiene. Right? So, was there a Walmart when you went in? Was there such thing as Walmart when you went in? No, not that I know of. If they were, there weren't any in Wisconsin wow. that I know of. Um, you know, I remember the Kmart's. You know, I right. remember the Zares back in the day, the Targets. So Walmart's new. But I don't remember a Walmart, mm -hmm. um, per se, in 1995. <clears throat> so we went to Walmart, and I asked them anything. I said, yeah, use some hygiene. So, you know, for a little context here, for 10 years, you know, I used the same soap, toothbrush, deodorant, Shampoo, I had hair back then. Uh, you know, I used the exact same products for almost 10 years, right? Men and Speed Stick, you know, the, the white bottle or the white container with the green top and the black writing. Uh, I believe we had Ivory Soap and Irish Spring. Uh, and when I walked into the Walmart, into that aisle, the, the hygiene aisle, uh, it was like the heavens opened up. And it was like an... <laughs> the variety was overwhelming. Yeah, yeah. It was, it, was, it was amazing, like, how many choices I had to make of, you know, soaps, deodorants, shampoos, toothpaste. Uh, and it was, uh, it was funny because as I walked down the aisle, I was, like, so amazed 
by all the options that I had. I was smelling everyone. Overstimulated. Yeah, I was like, I was totally overstimulated. So I'm smelling everyone. I'm like, oh, this one smells great. Oh, this smells good. What'd you narrow down to? What did you get? Yeah. Um, honestly, I want to say I probably stuck with Menin. Like it was weird because that's what I was used Pretty to, true, right? Yeah, for like yeah. ten years I used that, and eventually I moved away from it, right? Used, mm-hmm. and that was the gel, right? So you think about the old gel deodorants. So I moved mm-hmm. away from it at that point mm-hmm. to the powder, but yeah, it was like creature habit, right? It was, right. it was. I was so overstimulated, and I, I felt like, like paralyzed by the idea of making an option, making a decision. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's funny because that still lives with me today. Uh, I could pull into a drive-through. And it takes me three to five minutes to order something, even though I know I'm going to that restaurant. So, you know, the most insignificant thing I bought was hygiene. Some um, would argue that that was very significant. It, you know, very true. You can't be funky. Yeah, yeah, you can't. You definitely can't be funky. <laughs> um, but it, it was like, you know, as you think about it in the grand scheme of things, like the experience was very significant because it was my first time in a Walmart. First time buying stuff as a free, you know, as, as an adult, like as a free man, as an adult. Mm-hmm. Uh, the most significant thing I bought was probably about two weeks later, uh, I purchased my first vehicle. Uh, I bought a uh, 2001 Chrysler Sebring LXI. It was all black with chrome rims, had this, uh, the sunroof, the six CD changer in there, uh, you know, had the tinted windows. Uh, so that was my first purchase once I got it. My most significant purchase uh, within the first couple of weeks of being released from prison. So you, you were released in 2004. Yes. And purchased a 2001. Yeah. <laughs> that's pretty significant that's 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 yeah it was it was i mean it was it was it you know at the time i didn't think about you know the significance of it or think about mm-hmm. you know like that it was only a car that was three years old mm-hmm. uh all i thought about was i liked the car it looked nice and i was like i got i got some money enough money to put down on it uh so let me go ahead and pick this car up so who picked you up from prison so my mother and my father okay all right yeah. so when they picked you up was it like a uh um like experience that's different from any other, or is it more so that you know, did you, were you looking out the window, like waiting for them to come and pick you up? Or? Yeah, you know, it's interesting. I, I actually, for me, the experience was it was the leading up to them picking me up that was actually the experience. Like you're mm-hmm. sitting there, you know, the night before, you're sitting there talking to your roommates. You know, I had three other roommates in mm-hmm. the room. So that experience, like leading up to it, the excitement, right? Mm-hmm. It, you always think about it, I always equated to when I was a kid at Christmas time. And, you know, your mom's like, Santa's going to come. You know, you got to go to sleep, right? And you're, you're sitting there and you're just trying to wait and stay awake as long as you can. But guess what you end up doing? Falling asleep. And I think that was the same experience I had prior to my release was I was trying to stay. I just wanted to stay up now. I was like, wait a minute. If I stay up all night, like, then I'm going to be tired tomorrow when I get out, right? So, you know, it was those, those thoughts running through your mind. So eventually I fell asleep, woke up. I believe we were released. I don't know. I don't remember. It was either 8 or 9 o'clock in the morning when we got released. Uh, but you're standing there and, you know, you can see, I'm at minimum security, so you can see your, the people who are coming to get you, you can see the car sitting mm-hmm. out there waiting. Uh, and I just, I felt an immense amount of joy when I looked out there and I see my parents waiting for me uh, because they both had divorced, you know, almost 10 years mm-hmm. ago. Um, but they came together, like, to celebrate and to, to support yes. me getting out of prison. Like, and it was, you know, that for me, that was, that was a humbling experience. Uh, but the, the emotions behind it were like, I'm free. I'm about mm-hmm. to get out of here. Mm-hmm. Uh, which made it really exciting, uh, but it made that experience uh, very humbling. So you're out in the world now. Parents picked you up. Have a good job, correct? Yep. So what was the first job that you got when you, when you were released? So I kept I kept my job that I had at uh, Hoyda Lumber at the time. I was building okay. roof trusses, which was in De Pere, Wisconsin. That was a job I had as I was on work release. Mm-hmm. And so when I got out, I was able to keep that job and able to, I worked, I don't know, I want to say I worked about a month there. You said you really trusses roof trusses yeah trusses. so like yep so the, the triangle thing yep that that, okay. that you yeah. build the roof then the two roof goes on top you have two yep. by four two by sixes two by tens mm-hmm. um plates you know all that kind of different mm-hmm. stuff you know uh uh the architectural geometry uh but yeah we uh, we were building those with uh hoida lumber and i kept that job when i got out and i would go back up and uh crash on my buddy's couch my buddy Corey, who worked there mm-hmm. i crashed on his couch monday through friday and then I drove back home for the weekend and I went back up. So I kept that job. It was my first, like, that was my first job when I was in prison on work release. And I kept that when I got out. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, I, I, I want to say it was about a month, maybe a month and a half that I stayed there. Was it, was the pay different from when you were in prison and when you were released? Was it comparable? So when I was in prison, I was making, I want to say it was around nine bucks an hour uh, while I was on work release, right? I always have to give that disclaimer because people are like, oh, Everybody in prison, they they're making money and doing. I was on work release. I mm-hmm. was 
getting ready to be released into the community. Mm -hmm. So I was making the wages that individuals in the community were making. So I was making $9 an hour uh, upon my release. That's late 90s, early 2000s. No, so it was 2005, 2004. Okay, I'm saying, but while you were in prison, you were still making that. The, the, the beginning of the 2000s, yeah. Okay. So I want to say like probably from 2002 to 2004. I think it was about nine bucks a minimum hour. wage is what, about five, about five fifteen. Yeah, somewhere around so you're there. Making above minimum wage. Yeah, right? it was it, it was decent. decent I mean, it was it, it was decent at that time, right? Mm -hmm. For for what we were doing and, and the work we were doing. And so when I got released, I knew that individuals I worked with they made more than that while I was working there. I knew that they made more, mm -hmm. obviously because you have conversations, right? And I also ran a line when I was there. So we had four lines, four trust lines. And even while I was in prison, I was running a line towards prior to my release. Mm -hmm. So that means that I was now essentially the supervisor running the line of the other uh, men and women that are working there. So my goal was like, yeah, I need a raise, right? I'm out. I'm not free. Or I'm not in prison anymore. I'm free. I want to get paid what everybody else is getting paid. And I met with the manager and I basically said he was going to give me like a 50 cent raise. Which would have brought me up to nine fifty, but I knew everybody else was over ten dollars an hour. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was at that moment that I decided, all right, I, I'll accept that. Uh, but from that point forward, I said I, I got to find something better. I got to do something mm -hmm. different uh, because this just isn't going to work for me. Uh, you know, I'm coming back and forth. I'm up here, you know, for nine fifty an hour, and it just and also the fact that it was, you know, I felt at that point that my employer didn't even respect or appreciate what I brought to the mm -hmm. what I brought to the organization. So you are contemplating moving on obviously you did move on and when you did move on um what obstacles did you come across that, that's that's been your livelihood right. for, for a number of years now you're going to venture off on your own as, right. a, as a felon right. looking for work how did, did you come across any problems doing that so it, you know for me to leave when i left hoida lumber i had a good friend of mine uh frank who went down from hoida and he was released and he went to an organization called Doral Corporation. Mm -hmm. And he was working at Doral Corporation in their estimating department. And I contacted him and I was like, hey, Frankie, I was like, man, you know, I went to get a raise. And I won't say the guy, you know, the manager's name, but I said it and I was like talking to him. I was like, they didn't want to give me a raise now that I'm out of prison. And he, you know, he's like, man, I'm sorry to hear that. He's like, let me talk to the people here and let me see what I can do. So he actually called me the next day and he had talked to the folks down on the dock. And they're like, yeah, have him come down and he can start on Monday. So it was a Friday I called him. Uh, and he called me back Saturday and was like, yeah, they want you to come down Monday and start uh, on the dock loading trucks for 10 bucks an hour. Now, the difference is I was driving down to East Stewart Street on the east side or, you know, over on the other side of the third ward in Milwaukee mm -hmm. compared to driving to Green Bay and staying in Green Bay for a week. Uh, so for me, that was a real easy transition as a felon. Uh, you know, getting that job because I had that inside connection. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, but then there were other jobs throughout, like that I ran into issues. Right, there was one job that I applied for at a uh, a for profit college system that uh, you know, I was going to be working with individuals who were at risk or that had been to prison and now come to college, and it was used against me that I had been to prison, you know, which was really surprising to me because it's the population that you're attracting and you want me to work mm -hmm. with, but you you have an issue with me being in prison. But other than that, you know, some of the issues uh, that I ran into. How often did that happen? More, more than you know, or you're probably going, you're probably not aware. You know, and probably not even aware in most yeah. cases, right? Because you you get blind to it. For me, I've always adopted the fact, or I've always adopted this belief that if they don't hire me, they just didn't want me, mm -hmm. right? I don't try to figure out why they didn't want me mm -hmm. unless it's unless it's really specific mm -hmm. or unless something happens and I know they didn't. Uh, like in that case, I knew because I had an insider who was like. Yeah, they they decided because you were a felon that they didn't want to move on with the process. Um, but other than that, you know, maybe since I've been out, I've maybe applied for two jobs that I didn't get. Hmm. So um, I'm looking at your professional titles, and you got a pretty extensive list here of things that you did after you released. You eventually became a journey worker. Right? Mm -hmm. Tell yep. us about that that experience. How did you become? How did you get from where you are to becoming a journey worker? Yeah, so that job at the Rail Corporation that I worked at, um, there was a guy named Richard Roundtree uh, that he worked as an iron worker. Uh, not Richard Roundtree from Shaft. Okay, Shaft is from Milwaukee. Yeah, yeah, no, no, not, not. I mean, Rich, Rich is a big, here, folks. right? Rich is a big dude, but it, this, this is not the same Richard Roundtree. Uh, but he he approached me one day and he said, "Hey, you know, have you ever thought about becoming an iron worker or going into construction?" And I was like, 
you know, man, I, I just got out of prison. I, all I want to do is stay out of prison. That's it. I don't want to go back to prison. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, whatever I can do, I'm okay with this job. And one thing a lot of people don't know about when you get out of prison, you look for stability. And I had stability in that job. I knew what I was doing every day. I was loading trucks with tools mm-hmm. for iron workers, for welders, for pipe fitters. And I was okay with that. Um, but what I realized was Rich was dropping, he was basically dropping some seeds. He was planting some seeds on me. Um, so he had a little conversation with me after that. Then a family friend of mine approached me about a month later and said, hey, have you ever thought about, you know, getting into construction? Now, that was much more broad than when Rich asked me about, you know, if I wanted to be an iron worker. Mm-hmm. And he, you know, I said, you know, I really never thought about it. I'm stable where I'm at. And he said, look, they're hiring at Walsh Construction for the market interchange job. You should really go down there and apply. Right. So I'm like, OK, whatever. So that same day uh, I got off work at 430. Uh, I drove down to the office, the Walsh Construction Office, and I walked in. And if you can imagine, like a construction office is basically just like a regular business office. I spoke to the admin assistant. I asked her, you know, can I get an application? Um, and she brought an application out to me. And when she brought the application out to me, you know, I started filling it out. And I got to that question. Number six It was like number five or number six. It's the same. It's almost in the same spot on all applications, uh, but it's the question, have you been convicted of a felony? Mm-hmm. And yes and, or no. Yeah, yes or no. <laughs> and if yes, explain, explain, right? Right. So in prison in the 90s, and probably even before that, in prison they taught you to put, yes, we'll discuss an interview, right? which now is is has been found out to be like the most, that's the worst advice you it's could suicide. ever give somebody. <laughs> yeah, it's like at the end of the day, like you're telling somebody, yeah, I've been convicted and we'll talk about it when we get to the interview. That gives them the ability to discriminate against you. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, we're not going to talk You're about You're not it. getting to interview, buddy. Yeah. So, you know, there, there's definitely, you know, things that we won't really get into in this, in the Pardon Me podcast, but talking about that. Like, mm-hmm. how do you avoid that? Like, mm-hmm. band of box and other things. But in this instance, I got down to that question and I was just about to check yes. And I was about to write down exactly what we talked about in prison, which was, we'll discuss an interview. And there were three young men who came walking out from the back. And they walked to the desk where the applications were. And one of them said loud enough for me to hear. Now, he didn't know I'd been to prison, mm-hmm. but he said it loud enough for me to hear. I would never hire somebody who's been to prison. And I was so like, this is literally right at the time. When no, you're, you're at that, like at that, on that question, like milliseconds <laughs> of me checking. Yes. And writing will discuss like in those milliseconds in between that, mm-hmm. he said that. And immediately I was like, I guess I'm not going to get a job here. This is not a place where I'm going to be. You kept on, you kept on finishing the application. Yeah. Well, because he, and, and actually once he said that milliseconds after that, like this is all happening, like in straight up real time, Mm -hmm. there was a guy who was sitting behind a desk who looked up and he said, not me. If someone's desperate enough to come or if someone's desperate enough to steal, they're desperate enough to come to work every day and make money. Mm And when he said that, I, I yes, convicted. <laughs> Three counts on robbery, one attempted on robbery. And I wrote, I would have wrote anything and everything down on that paper because at that point I felt like if I was going to get a chance, it was going to be with him. Um, so, you know, I finished my, finished everything out. The, you know, the guy had the, the salty look. He looked, you know, like he just ate a lemon. When, when, because, <laughs> you know, as I found out later, the guy who said, you know, not me, he was a superintendent of the job. Okay. So at the end of the day, you know, the, they're just some interns. They were like some engineering interns mm-hmm. who, like, they had opinions, right? They, you right. know, they're fresh out, or they're in college, fresh out of college. They got their opinions, right? And he's, you know, a grizzled veteran. Yeah, and he's like, not me. Um, so he had that, you know, that lemon look on his face. Finished filling it out. I went to turn it in. Uh, yeah, I mean, assistant let me know. She said, you know, somebody be in touch with you. Well, it was, you know, my spirit was speaking to me at that point. Like, I was like, I got to talk to this guy. It's like, at the end of the day, man, he's... He like spoke up. He didn't even know I've been to prison or anything, but he spoke up and let me know that he's an ally. He's an advocate. So I asked her, I said, do you mind if I stick around and speak to the gentleman? She said, no, nah, not a problem at all. Sat around for about 10 minutes, waited to talk to him. Uh, he got off the phone. Um, I walked up to him. I approached him. I was like, you know, excuse me, sir. And he's looking at me crazy, right? He's looking at me like, what do you want? yeah, like, what do you want? Like, what is it that you need? And, you know, I was like, I want to say thank you. It's looking even more perplexed now. Like, thank you for what? And so I want to say thank you because it's guys like you that would give a guy like me a chance. And he, he, he looked at me, right? And he said, explain. 
So it sounds like violins playing in the background. I know, right? Like, <laughs> like, like this is just like my moment, right? Like, like real, yeah, emotional like, moment. yeah, it's like, yeah, it's that, it's that moment. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, and you know, he, um, he looked at my application. He said, "Explain it." Right. So I ran it down. Uh, I gave him my, you know, my ninety seconds. I gave him thirty seconds of what I did, sixty seconds of what I've done since I was released. Now at this time, it was July of two thousand and five. I was just released in December of 2004. So it's been like six months. Yeah, so I really had nothing to stand on. Like, I've been successful doing this and this and this mm-hmm. and this. It was more like, I told him straight, I said, look, man, I just got out of prison. I ain't trying to go back. My wife just opened a salon in downtown Milwaukee. We're just about to buy a house. I'm not trying to go back to prison. I just need an opportunity. Mm-hmm. I need somebody to believe in me and give me a chance. So he's like, no, okay, no problem, no problem, no problem. I said, and I'm willing to start work today. I got my boots in the car. You know, it's almost mm-hmm. five o'clock now. Mm-hmm. And he's like, you know, no, no, we're done for the day. He was like, but I want you, you know, he gave me this. I want you to call this program and get engaged with the program uh, to take participation in their, uh, their like uh, pre-apprenticeship. It, it wasn't a pre-apprenticeship at the time, but it was like this apprenticeship prep type course. Mm-hmm. He said, I want you to get engaged in that. I want you, uh, you know, and then call me back. Right. So I walk out before I get in the car, uh, I call the place, you know, I hold them. They're like, yeah, you can get in. Uh, we can definitely have you engaged. You're in the next class. Cool beans. Call him back. Let him know. He's like, all right, great. Uh, so that was on Thursday. Uh, so then Saturday morning, me and my pops were driving out to Pewaukee Lake. Uh, and you know, they say those moments in your life that you really know something changed. Like you remember every single detail about it because your life changed at that moment. Mm-hmm. We're riding out. You know, I remember this riding out uh, Capitol Drive. Went out to Pewaukee Lake. We stopped at Guarantee Bank. We were in my pops' 98 Dodge Ram with the loud pipes. We stopped at the bank to get some money. I was getting some money out of the account uh, for us to go fishing. And I got a phone call, and it was the guy who was sitting behind the desk. His name is Jay Titus. Mm -hmm. And Jay's like, hey, you know, this is Jay Titus from Walsh Construction. I'm calling to find out, you know, are you still interested in working in construction? I was like, yes, sir, I'm still interested. He said, report Monday morning to 6th and State. And this is who you're going to report to. I forgot the guy's name. It was probably like six thirty, seven o'clock in the morning. Yeah. You don't get calls at six o'clock in the morning. No day, let alone a Saturday. Yeah, like, you know, Jay was on it, right? So right. It, for me, I was like, I'll be there. So, you know, now fishing was exciting on you know, me and my pops. Mm-hmm. You know, we're sitting there talking and uh it was just exciting, man. And I, I sure. really didn't know what I was getting into. Only been out for six months. When I got on the job site, Jay came and saw me and said, You got two weeks to prove to me that you're worthy and I'm gonna get you connected to the union for an apprenticeship. So for two weeks, and it was it was just slanging sand. I was shoveling sand, dirt, whatever needed to be done. Uh, after two weeks, got into a registered apprenticeship here in the state of Wisconsin. I became a construction craft labor apprentice. How long did you do that? Uh, that was a two-year program. Mm-hmm. And then I stayed in the, uh, I stayed as a journey worker okay. for an additional three, three and a half years. Okay. And then I left when my son was born. Cool. So you, journey worker, uh, business service consultant, apprenticeship training rep, Chief of the field, state director of Wisconsin Apprenticeship. Yeah. Vice president, National Association of State and Territorial Apprenticeship Directors. I mean, you got a, a very, very impressive resume. Why did you want to pardon? Like you, you, you kind of accomplished all the things that you probably need to. What, what was the purpose of getting a pardon? You know, that's. <laughs> I laugh because that is a question that as. I thought about the pardon process and thought about going for a pardon that I really had to consider. Mm-hmm. Me, me and my wife uh, now have had some conversation. We had some conversation about that. Like, because right. I mean, just explain, because with a pardon, without the pardon, you're still on paper listed as a felon. Correct. And, and you can still search me and see what crimes I committed. And so then you can't vote? Uh, no, I can vote, but I could not own a firearm okay. and I could not um, uh, provide. Um, in Wisconsin, I, I could not, I could not participate in uh, any elections. Like gotcha. I couldn't be on a ballot. Gotcha. Okay. Um, All right. So it was firearms sure. and ballot. Yeah. Here in the state of Wisconsin, you receive your right to vote once you're off of uh, supervision. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You're able to vote at that point. So the, the pardon really does give you the ability to. They can look you up. They can search, and it just basically on CCAP, and mm-hmm. it says uh, this person has been received the governor's pardon, but then also the, the right to own a firearm. And then the right to participate on a ballot. I okay. Can be on a ballot. So I wanted to make sure that was clearly stated, based off of the fact that you basically maneuvered through life. Yeah. You know, with that on your record, and it didn't it didn't stop you 
Yeah, well, you know, I get that question a lot. Like, what it, what, what's in it for you to get the part? Mm-hmm. And, and to be honest, like, I'm going to kind of give you a timeline of it. Like, even having all of those, you know, professional titles, you know, awards that I've won personally or professionally, you still have that weight of that felony and of that crime on your shoulders. Mm-hmm. It's still there. It still exists. No matter what anybody sees, no matter if you don't tell anybody, it's sitting on your shoulder. So for me, you know, as I explained to the pardon board when I when I met with them, um, this is just an opportunity for me to close this chapter. Mm-hmm. And for me to close that chapter of my life from 17 to now at 40, I was 44 at the time, like to close that 27-year chapter of my life, mm-hmm. call it successful and close it and now begin that next chapter and whatever it looks like. So, you know, it, it that, that question gets asked to me a lot um, throughout my professional resume that, you know, I've had to continue to explain, like when I am applying for jobs, I explain about it. But now as I got farther away from that, you know, six months when I was out and had to explain my, my explanation now follows with accolades or with things that are tangible mm-hmm. that an employer can see, or that anyone I'm talking to can see to mm-hmm. say, this this person is a success. So as you are approaching, I mean, who who introduced you to this? Like, what, what made you be like, all right, this is, I think I'm going to pursue this. Was there a, plate, a seed planted or it just kind of came across the understanding of the process? The So the pardon process, it gets introduced to you once you're off of um, supervision. Mm-hmm. So for me, my supervision ended. So I went in in 1995, mm-hmm. 20 years. So 2015 is when my supervision ended. Five years after your supervision, you become eligible for a governor's pardon. Mm-hmm. So in 2015, pardon, the pardon advisory board was did not exist. It was on it. It was under in the previous governor, and it was not it was not functioning. Mm-hmm. Right? It was it was on pause. It's probably the best way to put it. It was on mm-hmm. pause. So nobody was being pardoned. Correct. Okay. And then when the current governor came in, he resurrected it and said, no, I'm bringing the pardon advisory board back, which now affords you the opportunity after that five years, you're done with your sentence, to apply to the governor and be, you know, be, as you apply to the governor to be referred then to the pardon advisory board to get a pardon. Mm -hmm. So for me, it was just after that five years, knowing that the pardon process existed uh, and just saying, you know what, I'm just going to. Shoot my shot. I'm gonna throw mm-hmm. it out there, see what happens. Uh, at the time, so it was 2015. So then, 2020 is when I got off. Mm-hmm. Uh, or when I, I'm sorry, 2015, I was off of supervision. 2020 is now when I become eligible because that was at the five year mark. And as soon as I became eligible in May of 2020, I said to myself, "All right, I'm gonna go ahead and do this. I'm gonna submit the paperwork. It's gonna be my my birthday present to myself. Uh, my birthday's in July, so it's gonna be my birthday present." Uh, went and got the paperwork, did everything, sat in my desk until January of 2021. The paperwork sat in your desk? Yeah. So I filled it out, uh, worked with a good friend of mine who helped me gather my thoughts. Like I could write it out mm-hmm. or I could say it and write it out, but it wasn't like where it was captivating. Mm-hmm. So I worked with a good friend of mine, Max, uh, and he he helped me like formulate my thoughts. Once we were done with it, I put it in my drawer and I just sat on it. Mm-hmm. I did nothing. Until January. And finally, I was like, you know what? I'm submitting this paperwork. I'm doing it. I'm going to get it out the way. And it just is what it is at this point. And I think it was that fear of like being okay. told no, like, or, you know, like, am I worthy? Right? It's a violent crime. Mm-hmm. This is, we're, we're talking back in 1995, these were violent crimes. Submitted it. Uh, and it's a 13 to 14 month process after that, which I didn't know at the time. I thought once you submit it, like, you'll see somebody soon. But then as I read up more, like, it, and it was just one of those things that you overlook, right? You're like, all right, this process is going to do this. Then when I went back, it's a 13, 14-month process. So you send it off in the mail and you wait 13 months? To 14 months, yeah. Because, you know, and the explanation behind that is, really is, you know, the governor, Governor Evers, when he resurrected the Pardon Advisory Board, there's thousands of people now who want to be part. Mm-hmm. So the backlog, I can't even imagine the backlog that they receive uh, of individuals who want to be pardoned and that information that comes in. And they review. They review each one that comes in to determine their eligibility, determine if the, the paperwork is complete. So it's a 13 to 14 month backlog mm-hmm. for you to wait. So I submitted in January. Um, 
And then I finally heard from them in April of, the, of 2022. So what was the biggest challenge in completing the, the, the paperwork? And I know that you were worried about the results, but as you were going through it, what was like the challenging part of, 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 of completing the whole, the whole, the whole application? I think there's two parts that were challenging to me. The number one part was really talking about like what I've done since mm -hmm. I was released. One of the hardest mm -hmm. things for me is to really talk about what I've done. I'm not, you know, I'm just not that type of person mm -hmm. to understand even how to really explain like what it is that I've done uh, and to, to correlate that, you know, which was the second hardest thing is basically why do I want a part? Mm -hmm. Like, and how do you explain that? Because as you read down my professional titles, Many people who pursue pardons are because they're being held back in life to try and grow in their organization or they're to try and find sustainable way, a sustainable wage job. Like you, they're facing these barriers that I didn't face those barriers. So now how do I explain that? Like, what am I, what am I really trying to do? And that's when I did a lot of soul searching, right? And I, I started to really think about like what I was doing and what I was engaged in and, you know, how I was doing the work. And, you know, that's when my engagement, you know, friends of like, Never thought about being a politician. I'm like, yeah, I really don't know about that. Like, I don't know if I'm really interested in that side of it because of my past. You know, have you ever thought about, you know, getting engaged in other areas of work, right? Whether it's in workforce or whether it's getting involved with justice of all folks, like in sharing your story. So for me, it was really trying to bring together all of that as a reason why I deserve to be part. So you put the paperwork in, 14 months passed. Um, they send you an email or something like that. Hey, we, we picked, we picked you. Kind of, I mean, what is it? Price, price is right. Come on down kind of thing. Yeah. So I received the email and actually there was an email from me before that, which was like, Hey, you know, I've heard anything. I just want to make sure. That I didn't miss yeah. Cause email. You're, just sitting, you're just sitting there waiting. Yeah. You just, you're waiting. You right? Anything. No, it's radio silence. <laughs> so I emailed, uh, whoever the contact was that I found, um, for the governor pardon board. Uh, emailed them and I said, hey, I just haven't heard back. I just want to make sure that everything was submitted properly. You know, let me know if there's anything I need to do. And she responded and said, yep, everything was in. We're just backlogged. You should be hearing from us in the next couple months. She was like, you know, she said the 13, 14 month. So I was, okay, at least now I know, I'm comfortable knowing that everything I submitted was on point, mm -hmm. like what needed to be. And now it's just a waiting game. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So um, after you got word that it was that you were selected or you were going to you know, be uh, being able to review your, your case in front of the board. Mm -hmm. um, how did you prepare for that? that? Was it a preparation or was it kind of like, I mean, how, and how much time did, was in between finding out that you were out, you were about to be able to present? So they give you, I believe it's a 30 day notice. Mm -hmm. You get an email that says, Hey, here's the zoom link. Be prepared on this day here. Your, you know, your number, whatever out of this many people, you need to join the Zoom link, whatever, 10 minutes before. Um, you see anybody else's or is this just yours? It's my email, but then you see everybody else's name. I mean, so, but, you, but when you were there, did you get to see anybody else? I did. I watched because I was fourth or fifth. Okay. So I watched the ones before. Mm -hmm. um, and the preparation is really intense probably isn't the right word, mm -hmm. but it's it's like your moment, right? It's like this moment of, I always think back to the fact that did I need a pardon to continue to be successful? Like, not really. Not really, right? right. Do I want a pardon because I want to close that, that chapter of my life? Yes. Absolutely. So, so then you get that, you know, you get that anxiety. You get that like, man, I got to make sure this is like on point. Like, I got to make sure I, I, I'm explaining this. And I'm, I, you know, so it's just all those those feelings that are coming up through you, but you're also reliving that process that you went through when you got sentenced, that process that you went through when you went to prison, that process you went through when you were released. Like you're going back through all of those processes because now everything that you dealt with and everything you experienced has now brought you to this point where you can now advocate for yourself to receive the governor's pardon. So for me, it was like, how do I bring together? I mean, this is 2022. This is 27 years after I picked up a gun and robbed people, like how do I talk about 27 years in 10 minutes? <laughs> I was gonna ask you how much time do you have? You have 10 minutes. 10 minutes, 10 like, minutes. and that's like max. Like mm -hmm. that's 
that's mess. You're pushing it even at 10 minutes because they want to get through them, right? They, okay. they have, you know, they have people they want uh, that are there. They have all of your paperwork, right? So mm-hmm. they don't want you to dwell on, because if you, if they called you in front of the partner advisory board, it means they read your paperwork. They think it's sufficient. Now they want to hear you explain it. So you have that 10 minutes and it's like 10 minutes, right? To talk about 27 years. Uh, so for me, you know, once again, I wrote all my thoughts on a piece of paper. I talked to more with my wife. I called a good friend of mine, Megan Morrissey, who used to run the pardon clinic for mm-hmm. the county of Milwaukee. Uh, it was county or city of Milwaukee. I called her and I said, Megan, this is what I have. I'm on tomorrow. It's showtime for me tomorrow. Like, I want to make sure I have this formulated properly. Like, how does this sound? And I read it through and she's like, you got everything you need. You have everything. Just move this here. Like she helped me formulate it mm-hmm. so that it was a, a full thought. And it, I mean, literally it was like when I started, it was like a run on sentence when I started talking. Mm-hmm. Like you would think that I was reading off of something. That's how it was formulated in my brain. I literally was just staring at the camera and I just talked. And it, it, I started here and I ended here. And you probably don't really remember what you said. Was no, I don't. Like the, the I honestly Charlie, don't. Charlie Brown adults. Yeah, the whole entire time. (laughs) It was like it was just that moment. Uh, Luckily, you know, you know, as I was going through, you know, it it was uh, it it was one of those things where I just felt positive. Mm -hmm. I felt really good about what I was saying. I felt really good about sharing the information I had. I think one of the things that made me feel really good the night before I went on, um, I reached. Oh, actually, two days before I went on. You submit refer- reference letters. People can write recommendation letters. And I remember I submitted that packet like over a year ago. So I had changed jobs now. I was no longer the state director of Wisconsin Apprenticeship. I now was a, a, a director with JFF, Jobs for the Future, a national mm-hmm. nonprofit. And something said to me, reach out to the CEO, Maria Flynn, and ask her if she writes your recommendation letter. Now, at this point, I had worked for her. I started there in October 21. This is May of 2022. And I was like, hey, Maria, I'm going up for a pardon, you know, my pardon advisory hearing tomorrow. Would you be willing to write a letter of recommendation? The next day, she submitted the paper to me, like a day. She was like, yes, wrote it and wrote a fantastic letter of somebody. So when we talk about, like, think about the recommendations I received. This is somebody who knew me for six months working in her organization. Mm -hmm. And she was able to write this fantastic letter. And I submitted it the night before my pardon hearing. And then they received it the next day. So I was able to kind of, I believe if you listen to it, which it's on YouTube, uh, we'll connect the link here to the podcast, uh, to, to the hearing. But you, you know, you listen and I kind of use that to break the ice to talk about, you know, I've had some changes. You know, I've changed my career. I'm no longer with the state. I'm working here. And I said, I hope you received the letter from the CEO. I'm like, yeah, we did get it. So for me, that was this this piece that I had at that point. You basically done everything you possibly could. I did everything I possibly could to show that who I was Mm -hmm. at 17 is not who I am at 44. Which is, absolutely, which is the the testimony of, like, coming to a point where you want to actually close a chapter. Like, you were so young. I mean, you missed the peak and the pinnacle of, like, adulthood in prison and came out and actually fast-forwarded your life to expedite your life to a point where you are right now, which is an extraordinary extraordinary path you have now finished talking to them and yeah 10 minutes is up <laughs> after that do you remember do you remember what happened after you after you finished your last sentence i know you don't remember what you said no no i remember i remember what happened then because i wasn't talking anymore so i remember <laughs> it was um so there's a part of the partner advisory board that they have the ability to ask questions mm-hmm. right so, so now they're this, not asking any questions the whole 10 minutes you're talking no about. they just you're they're just, just talking. they're staring at their camera you're staring at them and it's just you're talking and they're looking at you. They're maybe shaking their head or, you know, they might be writing stuff down. Mm-hmm. But a- after you stop talking, it's like the world like becomes clear again. And now you're like, they can ask me any question. Now you want to talk about anxious. Mm-hmm. You want to talk about getting nervous because now they can come out of left field with anything. Mm-hmm. They can look at your paperwork and see an inconsistency and say, hey, explain this to me. And totally catch you off guard, right? Mm-hmm. So that's why I was worried about, like, is there anything in here, like, that, like, because you're trying to remember back a year now of what I wrote, like, is there anything in here that has changed that they may ask about? Mm-hmm. So you're just trying to play all of it. But I sat there when I stopped talking, and the, the, the young woman who was the moderator, she said, does anybody have any questions for Joshua? Now, 
Now that her, she didn't put it out there now. Does anybody have any questions? I was sitting there sweating bullets. I was like, Oh man, what are they gonna ask? Like it was dead silence for like I don't know, minute, minute and a half. So I'm like, a long time. It is like dead (laughs) silence. Like, and it probably wasn't even a minute, but that's what it felt like. Uh Like it felt like forever. And she said, and and, and if I can quote her, the the lack of questions speaks to the thoroughness of your application. That's great. And once she said that, like, you know, that's that she made me feel that's okay. The conf- that's the confirmation. Yeah, right. I was like. That's really, I did everything I possibly <laughs> Yeah, because it's <laughs> like, they ain't asking no questions. Mm-hmm. They don't want to know anything. Like, right. you know, so now you're starting to get, you know, at that point you're getting like, you're like, wait a minute, they don't want to know anything? Like, my confidence is gone now. Like, maybe they're interested. Maybe they don't think I did this or maybe they don't think I'm worthy. Mm-hmm. But when she said that, I was at peace and I felt great. Because it was like, okay, I've done everything I can to show that I'm worthy of not only this opportunity, but also worthy of their blessing to receive a part. So what's next now that you have received your part? So once I got the pardon and uh, I, I received, obviously, uh, as I received the pardon after that hearing, I received it uh, July of 2022. Uh, after that, it was that that point of, you know, wait, I, wait, 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 Let's rewind. When did you find out you got your pardon? So I found out that I got my pardon in July of 2022. Because obviously you're pardoned. Yeah, July, <laughs> right, 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 right. Hence, pardon me. <laughs> right. Um, but July 5th of 2022 is when I got the email and found out that I was pardoned. That's that's my birthday. <laughs> yes. Happy, happy birthday to me. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, so I was coming back. We went on a family vacation down to Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, my wife, her family, our kids, mm-hmm. uh, we went all down for the July 4th weekend. Mm-hmm. Uh, we were heading back. We rented a big uh, a Wisconsin Badger coach bus. So we're riding back. Uh, we got to some place in Indianapolis mm-hmm. and we stopped. It was, we were taking a break and everybody was like, uh, you know, want to go get some food, right? Mm-hmm. Well, you know, some of the family picked Cracker Barrel they wanted to go to. Uh, there was me and a couple others and a bus driver who were like, wait a minute. There's our favorite greasy spoon across the street, Waffle House. Got to go to Waffle House. So, so mm-hmm. you know, no matter what, like we already ate at Waffle House like mm-hmm. the day before. But not you, enough. Yeah, you can't pass enough. up an opportunity. Time out. So you went to the hearing when? when, when May, May of 2022. 20, uh, May of 2022. And this is July? Of- July of 2022. Okay. All right. Just trying to put the context. All right. So yeah. So, so it, it you, you, you wait, like you, you basically wait for them to respond and let you know, you know, what mm-hmm. happened. So here it is July 5th. Uh, we roll out, we go to uh, Waffle House, go eat. They go to Cracker Barrel. My wife and some of the rest of her family go to Cracker Barrel and eat. Um, we get back on the bus. We come back across. Uh, they still weren't done eating. So we you know, went and washed up. Uh, actually went to the bathroom, you know, as, as famous as a greasy spoon is, you know, sometimes things just run right through you, right? <laughs> so you got to use the bathroom, right? So I'm you know, I'm, I'm sitting there using the bathroom and, you know, I'm scrolling on my phone doing our favorite pastime that I think everybody who's listened to this podcast has done at some point in time in their life. Um, and as I'm scrolling through, like, all of a sudden a notification pops up on the top of my phone and it says Governor Wisconsin Governor Pardon's office. Basically, it's it's GovPards dot whatever their, mm-hmm. uh, their website or their email address was. And I was like, oh, oh. And, I, you know, I was like, this, this is the decision, right? This is the decision point because now it's been two months. This is the decision point. Did you open it? No. I scrolled it back up. I closed it quick. And Why? I, man, because <laughs> at that point, I was like... You've been waiting for this. I, I was, I've been two waiting. Months? But at that point, I was like... Like, I was nervous, right? Like, I don't know what's going on. Like, oh, my God. So I finished, you know, finished using the bathroom, got up, washed my hands. You know, everybody should wash your hands. Uh, you know, I washed my hands and I went out to... Uh, you know, I went out and talked to my wife. And I said, hey, babe, I got the email. And she's looking at me like, oh, and I was like, I got the email from the governor's office about my part. I'm going to say, you got the email. Like, yeah, yeah. You email? know, that's how, that's how like nervous I am, right? I'm not even formulating full sentences. And I was like, I don't Email. Know. Yes. Yeah. Gotcha. <laughs> that's exactly what it was like. And she was like, uh, so she's looking like, do you want to open? I said, no, you know what? Let's wait till we get on the bus. I'm going to open it and read it in front of everybody. 
Um, Wait, are you going to read the email in front of everybody? Yeah, no, that was a risky proposition at that point, right? Like in front you of the whole family. It. Nobody's read it, but you're going to read it in front of everybody. Yeah, I, I don't know what I was thinking, man. Like I was told you I was nervous, man. So I was like, maybe thanks, there's... Thanks for potentially ruining my, my trip. Thank you. <laughs> right, there was, there, was that, there was that fleeting moment that I could have ruined the rest of the trip. The, the six-hour drive right, home. Six hours from home. Like, <laughs> it would have yeah. just been full of right. silence. Like, uh, <laughs> But no, it was... Um, Everybody got back on the bus, right? And uh, you know, I said, okay. Like, I announced it to the bus. I announced it to everybody. And I said, you know, I want to read this in front of everybody. And, you know, as I started reading it, you know, everybody, you know, you're recording. Like, you know, it was just that moment, right? And, and you're right. It's a risky proposition because mm-hmm. what if it would have said, we're sorry, but at this, at this time, you're not approved. Like, for me, not feeling like I needed the pardon per se rejection probably would have crushed me. It would have made me feel like I wasted my time going through this process. I definitely would have felt that way. And, and would have felt like I would not have felt validated. Like, mm-hmm. I did all of this. And once you do it, can you do it again? Or is that- you can, but you have to wait a year. Okay, gotcha. And I would have felt that. Like, what more do I need to do to prove my worthiness for mm-hmm. a party, right? And it's, it, it's, a system that is, it's, it's, it's a system that's imperfect. And I think they, they've talked about that all across the country. It's a system that's imperfect when you talk about pardons. Because you're basically saying you served your time in prison, now you're going to have to do additional to 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 earn this opportunity. Mm-hmm. Um, so for me, it was you know as I was reading it, uh, you know how you read stuff and you just want to really get to the point where you're like, I got to get down to to find out what happened. So I'm skimming it, uh, and I get to the point where it says, you know, basically, uh, you received a full and unconditional pardon uh, from Wisconsin Governor Tony Evers. And, you know, it was at that point that I had, like, this smile on my face. It was like I was holding back tears because I was emotional. And I was smiling. You know, it's in that moment where, like, you don't really know what to do. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at that moment, it was so humbling uh, of an experience. And I felt like a weight truly was lifted off of my shoulder. That has to be uh, a monumental moment. I mean, obviously, the six-hour drive was not sad. <laughs> Right, we we were toasting up, we were right. celebrating. It was what you doing next? You know what? You know my cousin Camille asked, "What you doing next? What yeah. you gonna do?" And you know Marcel and my wife Tahira, all you know, we were the adults on the bus. Mm-hmm. They're like, "What's next? Like, what's next? What are you gonna do?" Congratulations! And you know it made me feel really good because it wasn't just a congratulations at that moment. Mm-hmm. Like throughout the rest of the six hour ride home, they're like, "Man, congratulations, Josh!" Like it was just, you know, for me it was that it was. I felt I felt validated. Mm-hmm. I felt good. I felt validated. And I was just humbled. Like, I was exhausted. It's funny. It was like a 27-year race that I ran. Mm-hmm. And at the end of it, I was just happy to get to the finish line. So I know that, and I jumped the gun earlier asking the questions, but now I'm sure the ride, the ride home now has opened this door, this whole other door of what's next. Yeah. You know? Like So now that you've received the word that this is accepted and uh, they've accepted you to be pardoned, what, what, what are your plans next? So the first and foremost, you know, you get the email. The email's good. And I need to see that proclamation. I need to get that proclamation in the mail mm-hmm. that, you know, Governor Evers didn't sign. Mm-hmm. You know, I need to get that paperwork in my hand mm-hmm. so that I know that it's real, right? It's still that thing, right? I have saw them. They didn't have any questions. I got the email so that said... Wasn't, it still wasn't enough. It still, it still wasn't enough for me. Like, I was still, like, pinch me, wake me up, right? Mm-hmm. So I was like, I need that paper. Once I get that paper, I'm going to feel good. Because, you know, you're still thinking, like, maybe they sent the email to the wrong person. Maybe it was an accident, right? It's another, it's another Joshua Johnson. Yeah, it, it, who knows? <laughs> maybe they don't know who it was, right? So it's, uh, you know, you just go through all those moments, right? Those are moments that are created by prison, by the trauma in prison, right? You know, it's, it's created by that. So now, you know, you're not believing everything. And so for me, I'm just, I can't wait to get that proclamation that says it. And I know then that it's real. Uh, so I waited. I got the proclamation. About a month later, I got it. And it was exciting. You know, as I opened it up, it was, you know, it was in, it was in July. So it was in August. Uh, me and my wife were sitting out on our front porch. And, uh, and I started, you know, I was like, I was showing her. I was all excited. Like, look, hey, I got it. I got it. You know, so now I opened it up. And uh, you know, I got emotional at that moment. Because mm-hmm. right? now I felt it's official, like official. it's official, official. You know, it was, it was an emotional moment for me. Uh, it was a moment of appreciation, mm-hmm. uh, you know, for everybody that's been there, a part of my journey, you know, including my wife who met me when I was still a felon. Right? We've been together, uh, you know, at that point, a little over nine years. You know, she stuck through with me. She went through the battles of, you know, 
whatever I was dealing with with work and the doubts. Yeah, the doubts, and like the you know, anxiety, which yeah, the anxiety, the doubt. Like she went through it with me, mm-hmm. and she was able able to celebrate on the back end of it. So you know, as I read it to her, just smiled and broke down again. You know, it was just it was an exciting moment. And it was at that point too. She asked me, she's like, "What's next? Like, what, so what's next?" So for me, I feel like what's next. Uh, you know, most importantly, I got to enjoy something that my oldest son, uh, Daquan, likes to do. He, he likes guns, right? He's liked guns since he was a teenager. Uh, when he became an adult, he, you know, when he got his CCW, he's a responsible gun owner. And it's something I was never able to partake with him in, right? It was like, even when he, when he, you know, when he moved out the house, I'm like, you can move back in, but you can't bring your gun in my house because mm-hmm. you can't have that in my house, right? Mm-hmm. So, it, you know, it's just one of those things where your kid is doing something that they can do, like they're allowed to do it, but I mm-hmm. couldn't partake. Uh, so one of the things really was exciting was we went to go, we got to go hang out at the gun range. Uh, we went, you know, shotguns, just had a little competition or whatever. Mm-hmm. It's something that I couldn't, just, just without a partner, whatever it would do, right? Mm-hmm. I didn't want a partner because of that, but now that's you know, my son, he mm-hmm. likes to do that. He, he enjoys that competition part of it, right? Um, you know, what else is next for me is uh, getting, you know, having the ability to launch the Pardon Me brand. Mm-hmm. Right? And, and be able to say, you know, there's a story here and there's a story that is not just about getting out of prison, but there's a story that after you get out, the perseverance and patience that it takes to go through that process to get a pardon. And then lastly, uh, everybody has always said to me, like, when are you going to get into politics? Right? I have a lot of friends who are electeds and they're like, you should get into politics. And I was like, I don't really know if I'm interested in politics. Right. First and foremost because I know I have this on my record. And although I freely talk about it, it can be used as a weapon against me. And so I'm like, I don't know if I want to deal with all that. Uh, but actually now I've, I made the decision, you know, at the end of the year last year that I do want to get into politics. And, you know, I put my name in the hat for uh, the Germantown School Board. Uh, so I'm running mm-hmm. for one of the seats, seat number three there uh, that I'm running for. And, you know, my kids, we live in Germantown. My kids are Germantown uh, school kids, you know, their mm-hmm. school uh, they're Germantown scholars, uh, and we've lived in Germantown about seven years now. So I think it's an opportunity to get involved with the school, uh, with the school board, uh, to get involved definitely with the district, and uh, you know help create opportunities for the scholars that are within the district to be prepared to be successful once they leave, you know, the Germantown school district. So those are just some of the things that you know for me have been a part of my what's next. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I will tell you, there's there's something that happened. Uh, in August, was it August? I have to remember. I put my last year, sometime last year, in the summer of last year, um, that really, like, really inspired me, uh, not only in my personal and professional life, but really in my spiritual life. There was a meeting uh, through my professional life at JFF. Uh, I ended up meeting with the White House Initiative for the Asian uh, Asian American Native Hawaiian Pacific Islanders, uh, Biden's administration has an initiative that's focused on the Anapi uh, community. And I ended up uh, having a meeting, an in-person meeting with them at the White House. And we met in the room, we met in the room that Dr. King met in with the vice president at the time to talk about civil rights, when they were talking about the civil rights. And for me, that moment, like that is a full circle moment for me. Right. And, and we're talking now, when we think about this, I was in prison and then I became a career executive. I've met the lieutenant governor, the governor. I worked with them. You know, I received awards from them. That wasn't even full circle for me. The full circle moment came when I was in the White House, the same room that Dr. King met the vice president to talk about civil rights. Like, if there's a museum, right? And I didn't even know when I went in, like, we were running late for the meeting because you got to go through, like, three layers of security to get into the White House, right? Mm-hmm. So we get in, and I literally just walk in, and I go into the room, and then afterwards, the host, she said, you know, I want everybody to know this is the same room that Dr. King met the vice president in, uh, and actually out here outside the room is a museum of Dr. King. I inside, walked Inside the White House. Inside, inside the executive building, the White House. So the room is here. Outside is this museum. I walked right through here, and I didn't pay attention to it. Wow. I was like, I was walking through, like, all right, like I gotta get this meeting. Like this mm-hmm. is a meeting that I was able to organize and get us all mm-hmm. together. 
to get, uh, you know, our, one of our VPs, two of our VPs, and then some other of our, our team, like to be able to have this meeting. So, you know, for me, that was the full circle moment of like, man, like I really overcame every barrier that's been placed in front of me and I've become successful. And it was at that moment that it was, it was really a moment. I think I went back to my, we, we had a meeting the rest of the day, but that evening when I went back to my room, I really just decompressed, man. I thought about everything that I've come through, every step that I've taken to be intentional in my life since I got sentenced to 20 years in prison. Every step I took was intentional to make sure that I never went back to prison. So um, I looked up your name online. What, mm-hmm. do I, what do I see when I do a search for Joshua Johnson now? Man, you know, oh, you, you saw. I, so I'm good enough that I could just be like, hey, you need to Google me. You can find out about me. Uh, no, but what you'll look up, you'll see you'll see articles on there from the state of Wisconsin Department of Workforce Development. They've done articles on me. I've been a part of articles with the JFF. I've done blogs with JFF. Uh, you'll see probably podcasting, a people's podcast that hosts me on there mm-hmm. to tap into my national expertise on apprenticeship, to talk about uh, the experience I had working with individuals with disabilities, getting them connected to the workforce to talk about my workforce experience, my DEIA, so diversity, equity, inclusion, accessibility experience. Like you Google my name and you look that up. And once you, if you put Joshua Johnson, Wisconsin, Joshua Johnson, JFF, like it'll pull up all of these things that I've been a part of. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that even blows me away. Uh, Cause you know, you think you're going to see it, pull it up. And the first thing you see is Joshua Johnson, inmate number 305178. And that's not. It's not what you see. You see all of the things that I've done over the past 27 years, all the things that I've been a part of that have been, you know, that have been a part of my success. It's a wonderful opportunity to, to talk to you. As I started off, um, we opened up the podcast with the opening paragraph of your pardon. And we'd like to close out the, 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 the podcast with the closing paragraph of your pardon. And uh, I will be speaking on the behalf of Tony Evers, the governor of the state of Wisconsin. Now, therefore, I, Tony Evers, governor of the state of Wisconsin, by the authority vested in me by Article 5, Section 6 of the Wisconsin Constitution, do fully and unconditionally pardon Joshua A. Johnson of the offenses described above and restore to him all the rights and privileges which may have been forfeited by him as a result of said offense. We have professional titles of a construction craft laborer, apprentice and journey worker, vocational rehab business service consultant, apprenticeship training representative for the state of Wisconsin in apprenticeship, chief of field operations with Wisconsin Apprenticeship, the state director of Wisconsin Apprenticeship, vice president of the National Association of State and Territorial Apprenticeship Directors, member of the president of President Biden's advisory committee on apprenticeship, uh, co-chair Wisconsin Department of Transportation of uh, Disadvantaged Business uh, Enterprise Labor Committee, uh, junior achievement member, uh, the board member of Junior Achievement of Wisconsin, a uh, board member of Fathers Making Progress, and currently you are uh, Jobs for the Future Director of National Innovation Hub for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Accessibility in Registered Apprenticeship. Man, Whew. it's an honor to actually hear the perseverance, the uh, the, the work ethic, uh, the patience, the courage, I mean, all the words that come w- uh, with making it out of the circumstances that you have um, and making the name that you have so far. So you know, thank you for having, uh, giving us the opportunity to have this conversation and uh, to share your experience. I really appreciate that. Yeah, and I want to thank you today, uh, Canby's, for, for sitting in the Pardon Me Corner and having this conversation with me. You know, my story you know, I shared today is just one of the many across the country that exhibit success after incarceration, along with the perseverance and patience to seek a part. The Part Me podcast is honored to bring these stories to inform, inspire, and motivate you, our audience, with the goal of humanizing the mistakes we make in life and celebrating second chances, which we all deserve. Uh, thank you for joining us today on the Part Me podcast. Tune in next time to hear another great story of a man or a woman who has sought out a pardon, received that pardon, and will share their success after their pardon. And remember, always remember, failure is never an option.
The mission of Pardon Me is to inform, motivate, and most importantly, humanize individuals who have made mistakes but have received gubernatorial and presidential pardons. Pardon Me is a brand for those who support second chances.